Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View. I hope you're having a great Friday on this show that celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. And uh, on Fridays, we get to kind of celebrate my friend Jeff Duncan with NOLA.com and the Times-Picayune. He's uh, he's the man with the plan when it comes to the Saints, but obviously he uh, he knows he knows sports in general, and he's just a great one to visit with. Every single Friday here on uh, Coast View, we have Jeff for an hour today. So, I mean, I'm thrilled by it. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, Ricky. Uh, man, that was a crazy one last weekend, so hopefully these things – aren't quite as uh, dramatic for fans uh, going forward because I'm not sure people can handle it. Well, we got, there's a lot to talk about. And, w- and one thing I want to do d- while we're on this hour is uh, is talk about this great team that you had the opportunity to work with. Remind people about the uh, NOLA.com Times-Picayune Saints newsletter that comes out every morning, which is really terrific. Yeah, I mean, you guys don't miss – a beat on that and there's some really interesting stories in just the last few days so we'll come back to that in a second but overall man what's your read i mean it seemed to me that they, they had a lot of cobwebs to dust out because they hadn't played together as a team for most of the preseason but what's your read on what you saw this past sunday I, you know i thought dennis allen put it best on monday when he said you know good teams win games when they play bad and i thought that's exactly what happened on sunday the saints really didn't play up to their standard in any way the first three quarters of that game, got into a deep hole, and we're really pretty fortunate to dig out of it. I credit them for fighting back. They made some extraordinary plays to get back in it and take the lead. And I I felt like once the momentum turned in that fourth quarter, Ricky, uh, you saw one team that's accustomed to winning. Saints, of course, the second most winningest team in the NFL the last five years. They believe they can win. And then you saw a team in Atlanta that doesn't believe it could win. And, and, and it just kind of took on a life of its own. And the Saints made all the right plays and, and pulled it out. Uh, but I don't think you should, we, we can gloss over those first three quarters. I mean, that's disturbing that your first game of the year, you come out and play that way. I think a little bit of it is attributable to Atlanta having a really good scheme and game plan. They had a new defensive coordinator. His scheme was different. And they threw some things at the Saints on both sides of the ball because they have a new quarterback, too, that they took them a while to adjust to. That's not going to be the case going forward, especially with Tampa, who runs the same system they've been running. Uh, but uh, I think it, the Saints did not play up to their standard. And, uh, you know, they're going to have to play a lot better than that this week to win. You know, one of the, just you know, there's a lot of headlines, but let's just take that fourth quarter, for example. First of all, as you pointed out when we were on break, we were talking about world-class throws. <laughs> but then you you look at Jarvis Landry and that 40-yard reception that he had. You can you can break it down because the pass was actually more than 40 yards. We'll come back to that in a second. And then the two Michael uh, Thomas touchdowns. You know, you look at the the receivers we had last year. You know, they were dropping balls. You know, they 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 almost make those catches. We yep. just didn't have it last year. But with that talent this year, if we can keep those guys healthy, man, we've really you – know, we've been talking about this for a while, but you got to see it on display in that fourth quarter, didn't you? 
Yeah, great point. I mean, how many times do we see Kenny Stills go up and not come down with a, a 50-50 ball? And we talked to Jarvis Landry this week about going up on those competitive balls, and he said, look, in my mind, they're not 50-50 balls. They're 90-10 in my favor. And that's the mindset you have to have. It's certainly the mindset Mike Thomas has. You know, Mike Thomas, you know, last year we talked a lot about separation. That was a big thing, you know, getting separation. And I think sometimes that's overplayed uh, in, in the modern NFL game. Uh, Chris Olave gets a lot of separation. That's the type of receiver he is. Mike Thomas doesn't. I mean, the, if you notice, the corner's always on Mike Thomas. He's always right there. And very rarely does it even matter. Because uh, Mike Thomas is not a very fast guy. He's a very strong, powerful, violent receiver. And uh, he had one of the lowest separation rates in the entire NFL. Did it matter? No, because he's going to catch those balls like that. So the Saints have definitely upgraded that that position, and it showed big time uh, in the fourth quarter. Hey, listen, here's the thing. Jarvis Landry made two really important throws. <laughs> I mean, the catches in that in that series. But let's break down the the forty yard reception. T- 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 from your perspective, what did you observe? Not just from Jarvis Landry's perspective and and the defense that was on him, but also from uh, Jameis Winston's perspective. Well, you know, there's a few things. First of all, the Saints uh, max protected on that. They kept. The back, Mark Ingram, and the tight end, Jawan Johnson, in to protect uh, in pass protection. So they had seven blockers, and that's what gave Jameis the time. They ran three vertical routes. They only had three receivers in the route. They had Jarvis Landry, Chris Olave, and Mike Thomas all running vertical seam routes against a soft, you know, against a cover two that's designed to kind of prevent that. But that's the area on both sides where Jameis threw the ball to to Jarvis Landry, that's the area that's somewhat vulnerable because the safeties have to get over from the middle of the field, kind of. And Jameis Winston put it in the absolute perfect spot. He threw the ball, according to Next Gen Stats, which is an analytics site that measures uh, a lot of like uh, speed and, and distance. They, they, they measure the chip and the ball that's embedded in there that they have that gives them computer readings. And he threw it 58. Uh, a little over 58 yards in the air because he threw it from the right hash mark all the way across the field to the sideline. And he put it in the perfect spot to where the safety couldn't get over to make a play on it. Now, having said all that, Casey Hayward, the cornerback, Ricky, I don't know what he was doing. I mean, his coverage was awful. If this were a Saints corner making that play, he would be lambasted by Saints fans. I mean, you can't let the guy just run free down the sideline like that and get behind you in that situation. What you want is to get them the ball over the middle, let them catch the ball 10 or 15 yards and come up and tackle them. The Saints had no timeouts. You want the clock to run. And he did the absolute worst thing. So they took advantage of a little bit of bad coverage and of a remarkable throw and catch. And look, I talked to Jarvis this week. He thought he was down by contact. And I think everybody thought so, but it was such a chaotic play. The line judge on that sideline got wiped out by the by the defenders that came flying over for Atlanta. And so he kind of got knocked out. He didn't really get a good view of it. He was in front of Dennis Allen and, and behind Dennis Allen. So Dennis Allen didn't see him signaling to stop the clock. And so Dennis Allen was yelling to clock the ball, clock the ball to his quarterback, to Jameis Winston. So were a bunch of other people on the Saints sidelines. That was not the right play, as we now know because it cost the Saints 10 yards and a loss of down. It was a disastrous sequence of events there, a very unusual sequence of events. But the Saints have to do better in that situation. You can't 
not know what the official ruled in that situation, especially the quarterback. I mean, uh, Jameis Winston made a great play there, but that that decision there to spike the ball almost cost the Saints. Yeah, you couldn't help but think about Lattimore at the end of the game when Lattimore did his little deal that, I mean, cost us 15 yep. yards. I mean, that's that's a bonehead move, man. How much did they talk about that this week? Well, he talked about, I mean, he definitely talked to Lattimore about it. You can't let somebody get in your head like that. You can't make a, you can't be undisciplined like that. And even worse than that, in my opinion, and, and I don't know if people recognize this at the time, we haven't heard a lot of people talk about it, but if you remember, Ricky, after they got the 10-yard penalty, they completed a pass over the middle. I think it was the Mike Thomas or Jarvis Landry, got about 15 yards of the 20 yards back. And then Jameis Winston spiked the ball again. He should not have spiked that. That was a disastrous play again because it gave Atlanta the time they needed to almost come back and win the game. They had no reason to spike it there. They should have let the clock. They were going to kick the field goal. They should have let the clock tick down. Now, Atlanta had timeouts, so they would have – recognize that they were letting the clock tick down. They would have taken it, but it could have burned maybe four or five more seconds, and you would have taken away a timeout from Atlanta. So that was another mistake with their clock management uh, that you can't make, and it almost cost them. I mean, if, if the Saints don't block that field goal at the end, who knows? Maybe we're talking about a different story. It's really incredible. Um, I wonder if they had it to do over again, would they have on that two-point conversion you know, not putting Taysom Hill in that position if they chose to run that particular play, you think they would run it again? Well, look, I, th- I think it was working, but I don't think that play was going to work. I mean, Atlanta's defense on that play was geared to stop that, and it, and it did a good job of it. So I don't think whoever had it was, unless Taysom Hill was going to bowl over five defenders, which he <laughs> might, as good as he is. But uh, that was one they probably just like to have that call back because it, it, it didn't match up with what Atlanta was running. You know, if we can give Jameis Winston the time, man, he has the weapons this year, doesn't he? Yeah, and, and the, the, you know, we talked to, before we came on about some of the protection issues. That's something they've got to get ironed out because I guarantee you Todd Bowles, now the head coach, used to be the defensive coordinator for the Bucks. He is one of the most creative blitzers in the NFL. I mean, they will come after the Saints with exotic pressure packages because they see now on tape the Saints communication. This was more of a communication issue than it was just getting beat. There were guys running free because the Saints were picking it up. That's not just the line. It's also the quarterback. It's the backs. It's the tight ends. It's a very complicated process. They've all got to get on the same page. When we come back, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that because as uh, my friend Jeff was saying during the break, People have a tendency to put all the pressure on the line that the line can't pick up. That's sort of what I saw, too, that your line can't pick up those blitzes. But uh, as Jeff just pointed out, it's a lot more complicated than that. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that when we come back from break. We'll see you with Jeff Duncan. or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I'm my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune, and we're talking saints, 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 and more saints. This is what Fridays on Coast View is all about here on 103.1. So, Jeff, when we went to break, you know, as I as I observed during, uh, you know, before we started the show today, it didn't seem like the line could pick up the blitz, but you said, uh-oh, it's way, way more complicated than that. Kind of break that down. Yeah, let me explain to, to listeners and viewers how this works. Usually, it's the quarterback making the designation. And with the Saints, it's Eric McCoy, the center. Teams have different, uh, you know, players assigned to designating the Mike, as they call it, the middle linebacker. And the reason you see that, and you'll hear it sometimes when the Mike picks it up on the field. You hear 55 is the Mike, or you know, 53. They'll call out the number of the player. What they're doing with that is that's identifying who who starts the protection as it goes out the way the protection calls are are made in a given play the mike linebacker is kind of where it all builds out from so whoever's identified by the center or the quarterback as the middle linebacker then the other players along the line know who they're supposed to block and that's that's how it works and they have different blocking schemes and different techniques and things that they're going to do but the assignment starts with that and so lots of times you'll see either one the defense shift at the last minute to, to mess up that blocking scheme, or sometimes it can be a wrong identification because the defense is actually going to do something different. There's a lot of different tendencies and, and concepts that can screw that up. But it, it's not just as simple as finding the middle linebacker. You also have to know your responsibility within that given uh, protection scheme, and that includes the running backs and the tight ends. And that's why we saw, I mean, a couple of times, remember the disastrous play where Mark Ingram fumbled? If you go back and watch that play, Ricky, uh, Mark Ingram whiffs on a free blitzer. I mean, he just his responsibility was to block that guy. And the running back always is told, always, you go inside out. In other words, you take the first inside player that comes free. If he doesn't come free, you start working your way out the block. But you don't let somebody come inside clean. That happened a couple of times to the running backs. Alvin Kamara missed one, so did Ingram. And that's that's really difficult for a quarterback. And, and Jameis Winston struggled with that, but it's not all his fault. And it's not just the Lions' fault. The backs are also involved in that. You know what's interesting? Uh, they didn't waste any time pulling the, the Taysom Hill card out. You know, we wondered how that was going to be utilized this year, but there, you know, he, right off the bat, he goes in at cornerback and starts making an impact on the on the game. He looked pretty healthy, didn't he, my friend? Yeah, I thought he looked great. I mean, he showed some, uh, you know, open field moves, almost scored. Uh, that's the longest run of his career. I think it was 57 yards, and then came back. If you go back and watch that play again that he scored on, I think it was 11 yard run. That's as good a blocking on a running play as you can get. It doesn't get any better than that. He scored, Ricky, untouched from the 11-yard line. I mean, every block was like they draw it up in the, in the meeting room. Uh, that's great execution there. And, uh, you know, you or I probably could have scored on that because it was blocked so well. Uh, so th- that, that system has always worked very well, that, that quarterback power play. It's one of the Saints' go-to plays. But Atlanta adjusted a little bit as the game went on, like good teams do, and kind of took that away from them. And, and, and I was asked about why didn't, you know, some people have asked me why they didn't go back to Taysom. Well, I think you also have to understand, you know, they're trying to get everybody involved. There's only so many balls to go around. They wanted to get Alvin Kamara more involved, and Mike Thomas was not involved early. So they were trying to, I think, 
get that running game going with Kamara and also get Mike Thomas involved in the passing game. So just trying to work their offense and, and, and be balanced more than anything else. You saw it seemed that um, I don't know if Mike Thomas was frustrated with Jameis Winston or frustrated with himself. I know those balls to him were not. He was having a reach back and they, they just weren't on the money. Was he still expecting to catch those? You know, that's just his expectation or was he what was his mindset, you think? You know, I, I don't know. I think he was just frustrated and that they, they weren't connecting. And I don't think it was anybody's fault in that. I mean, I think Atlanta had a lot to do with it by disrupting the timing. And look, that's going to happen first game of the year. The Saints, uh, Mike Thomas and Jameis Winston have not played together in a game, really, ever. Uh, so this is the first time it's it's happened. Mike Thomas is coming off injury. Jameis Winston's coming off injury. They played one offensive series in the preseason together. There was a stat the other day, Ricky, this I thought was very interesting. The, the teams that did not play their starting quarterback in the preseason at all went three and eight in the first week. So that tells you a little bit, right? I mean, it's not just the Saints. I think this is something we're going to see going forward because the way the league's going now. Michael Thomas, the way you described his catching, and I mentioned this to you off the air, but the way you described it is violent. (laughs) You forget how dominant he is, Even, even in those closed spaces that you talked about. Some of the cl- most closed spaces between the defender and, and the receiver in the NFL, but he so dominantly reaches out there with his hands. That one, you know, both of the touchdowns were incredible, but that one, it was a laser throw. I don't know how fast the ball was going, but but he just snatched it. He just reached up, snatched it, and brought it in. It was, uh, you know, we but we missed this guy, didn't we? Yeah, we call, they call them phone booth catches because it's very tight quarters. And he was doing those against A.J. Terrell, the, the top corner for the Falcons. Last year, Terrell, I think he was a pro bowler, and he ended up making the pro bowl, only allowed three touchdowns in coverage all year. He gave up two in that one quarter uh, to Mike Thomas with Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston's always going to dial him up in that situation, man-to-man. That was just, hey, the better man wins. And in those instances, Mike Thomas won. But... I think you made a great point. Those were really good throws. Those are difficult throws to make. Uh, back shoulder with a ton of velocity on those balls. A lot of guys can't, can't catch those balls. But Mike Thomas's hands are unbelievably uh, sound. I mean, he just does not drop those kind of passes. And that is something the Saints have lacked in recent years. Boy, it is. Uh, hey, listen, coming back to the 40-yard pass, to Jarvis Landry, uh, I meant to mention one of the things that you said when we were on break was that um, Drew Brees can't make that throw. No, not, not, not very many quarterbacks can make that throw, especially late in Drew's career he couldn't make it. I mean, that's that's as difficult a throw as it gets. You're throwing across the field to the outside boundary. It takes velocity and it takes great accuracy. and. That's if, Of all the things I've seen Jameis Winston do since he's been with the Saints, he throws as good a deep ball as any quarterback I've ever seen, maybe the best I've ever seen. Uh, that is really his one of his great strengths, and the Saints are taking advantage of that. I mean, they threw a lot of balls down the field in this game. The, the fourth quarter alone, Ricky, they had six pass completions of 20 yards or more. Six. That's, they didn't have any in the first three quarters. I think their longest connection was 11 yards. So it just turned over. And look, a lot of that had to do with Atlanta getting conservative. I think if Dean Pease, if you talk to him this week, the defense coordinator, he'd regret the way he played it. You know, Greg Williams 
for better or worse, when he played defense coordinator, one of the things I liked it, it, when he was the defense coordinator was he did not play prevent. He refused to do it. He stayed aggressive. And I think that's the way you win more games. Now, it's going to cost you. It cost the Saints the 2011 playoff game to the 49ers when they executed a bunch of big plays against the Saints' aggressive defense. But more often than not, I think you win being aggressive. I saw the same thing happen in the Florida State-LSU game where Florida State got very conservative and LSU started getting rhythm and confidence and the momentum turned. And it's hard to turn it back around once it turns on you. So as far as injury, let's we're still on the offensive side of the ball. I know that I saw the injury list was rather long today. Uh, nothing super serious unless it's something you know that I don't know. Um, any lingering issues with with uh, with Jameis having gone into the tent? Well, what I'd heard and it was confirmed this week uh, by the injury report is he's having some back issues, and that's never good. But it doesn't sound serious right now. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, you know that's something he's going to have to manage throughout the season. Any, the biggest, uh, anybody? Yeah, go ahead. Well, the biggest injury concern is Paulson Adebo, who's still out. Uh, you know, the starting corner. Mark Ingram also is not practiced. That's why Latavius Murray was signed. What's going on with him? Well, I mean, it, he's got some kind of injury. We don't know exactly what it is, but we'll see if he practices later this week. Wow, wow, wow. So much, so much to think about. But, uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, my son Jordan probably said it best. I mean, <laughs> here we are, the first three quarters, and we're going, oh, my God. I mean, people were, people, I, I mean, he had left with his family to go somewhere. He said, I can't watch watch the end of this. I mean, it's just so depressing after all the buildup and all the conversations and all the you know, videos watch and, you know, getting excited about the team and three, you know, three, it was just a stinker in the first three quarters. And then to see what they did in that fourth, fourth quarter, you're talking about just like, you're talking about a dynamic set of, of emotions, <laughs> but it was one, it was, it was a great comeback. And in the history of the saints, it was a great comeback. Well, it's the biggest comeback they've ever had. Never, excuse me. They never come back from 16 down. In the fourth quarter, I think they were 0 and 208 <laughs> historically. And look, that that pass to, Jar- to Jarvis Landry, according to Next Gen stats, was the most improbable completion of the whole weekend. So it took a lot of things to go right to complete that comeback. But you know, Dennis Allen said all along that this is a gritty, tough team. We, we saw that on, on Sunday. It was uh, it was something to watch. We'll we'll, we'll start to break down the uh, the defense in the next in the next uh, section we're coming to the end of this, this this segment now but when we come back we'll continue our conversation about the saints with jeff duncan from nola.com and the times begin subscribe for free to the coast view podcast on itunes google Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have Jeff Duncan from NOLO.com and the Times Picayune, and we're talking Saints. We're talking Saints for sure. You know, right as we begin to talk about the defense for a second, one of the things that uh, I, I, I guess, you know, I've watched Marcus Mariota play before, 
I don't know. We haven't seen much of him as Saints fans, but um, but one thing that hit me watching him play, this kid is fast. I mean, he's been in the league for a while, and he's had his challenges along the way, but he is a fast runner, isn't he? But you see why he was number two overall pick in the draft. Uh, you know, he, he's a talented player. He can run, and that's why I think he can't overreact to the, to the rushing totals, over 200 yards rushing. Now, that's a little extreme, especially by Saints standards. I mean, the Saints have led the NFL in rush defense, I think, two of the last three years. Uh, so it was very surprising to see them run. But they run such a unique scheme and take advantage of the quarterback's running ability. And I thought, Ricky, one of the, the biggest plays in the game uh, was that forced fumble by, by Marcus May that Tyran Matthew recovered. Uh, that was a terrible play by Mariota. I mean, as a quarterback, you got to get down and slide. He lost track of where the where the yard marker was. Thought he needed more yardage, and tried to put his head down and paid the price for that by losing the ball. And if the, if the Falcons punch that in there, uh, that game's over. I mean, there's not going to be enough time to come back. So that was a huge play. And then another play that really got overlooked. I wrote about that this week. Uh, the punt right before the very end, with right before Jarvis uh, Landry's big catch, that first play of that late late, late drive. That punt, which the Falcons got called for holding, Taysom Hill was going to block that punt. They had a scheme on, took advantage of a rookie long snapper. They knew he was vulnerable, and they attacked him with a little bit of a game up front, and and Taysom Hill came clean, and and the the long snapper, to his credit, tackled him, which is what he's supposed (laughs) to do. It cost the Falcons 10 yards without any time coming off the clock, so obviously that was bad. But can you imagine, Ricky, if Taysom Hill would have come through there in that situation and blocked that punt and the Saints would have won the game, considering the history of this series with Steve Gleason blocking a punt against the Falcons, Mike Maudie a few years ago blocked one that helped him win a game. I mean, that would have been off the charts. And I talked to Taysom this week about it, and he said there was no doubt he was going to get to the punter clean if he didn't get tackled. Well, how was Taysom? You, you said you met, you talked to him. How was how was Taysom? Was he he had to have been pleased about his play in that game? Oh yeah, he's definitely he's, he's healthy. He's you can see when he's healthy, just what a force he is. And and Todd Bowles talked about it this week. I mean, he he talked about what a force he is. Not only uh, you know, and, and coaches talk this way, Ricky. Not, not only as a a dual threat or a multi-purpose threat on offense, but he's a force on special teams. He's a guy that they have to account for. He's so good at blocking punts and being a factor in that part of the game, and he can impact really the game wherever he plays. He's just a unique unique weapon for the Saints. We're so lucky to have him. So Okay, so you and I have talked for months about a dominant defensive line. Uh, we didn't hear their names called in any sacks or whatever, but you know, when you look at the film, was it dominant? What? How, how did we do on the on the defensive line? Defensive line? Well, look, they got blocked. They got blocked pretty well, which was surprising. I didn't expect that. I thought the defensive line, that's the strength of the defense. Uh, I think there's a little concern. If I had concern about the defense, it might be the interior defensive line. Defensive tackles didn't get a whole lot done. I thought Cam Jordan played fine. Some of the backups played fine. Uh, but I expect them to bring it this weekend. They're going to have to. That's how they've beaten the Bucks in the past. The way they beat the Bucks, the way they kind of the kryptonite to Tom Brady is the cornerbacks and defensive backs get very physical on the receivers, and they disrupt their timing. They take 
uh, they make Tom Brady hold the ball a little longer than he wants. He's a timing-based quarterback, just like Drew Brees. And then that big front defensive front pushes that pocket with their power right back in his face. That's the that's the kryptonite to Tom Brady and his work uh, for the last three or four years like no other team in the league. So the interior of the defensive line, you have some questions about. Davenport, we've talked that he might be the best ever in this position. Do you, I mean, what was the what was the assessment of his play? Well, I mean, he played okay. I didn't see it. They, they were paying a lot of attention to Davenport. You know, that, that's what teams are going to do. He's such a force. So he's going to get double teamed a lot. Uh, right now, he's the guy you double team on the Saints defensive line. And so it's going to be up to the other guys on the defensive front to kind of come through while he's getting all that extra attention. Linebackers going to look like it's going to be a strength for our team this year. Well, Pete Werner had a huge forced fumble, if you remember, in the first half. Uh, that was another big play. It was the first play of a, of a drive after a big completion. I think he led the team in tackles with 12. Uh, you know, the Saints have been high on him all along. And I think Saints fans saw that now because they they were very upset that the team didn't go back after Quan Alexander, and I think we saw now why why the team had confidence in Werner. And they've been really, 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 really careful with him. <laughs> we haven't seen much of him because you know coming back from injury or whatever. All you know, I think hamstring was that the issue with him? He had a hamstring. No, he had a, he had a groin injury. Yeah, look, yeah I'll groin. Say, I'll That's say right. this. I, you know, yeah. I didn't think Demario Davis played that well in this game, and and he's got to play better. And I think he would admit that. Uh, he did not have one of his better games. I expect him to bring it against against Tampa. Okay, so uh, what's your assessment of a safeties? One of the one of the things that we worried about was uh, the communication because we got two new guys in that position. What did what did you see there? Well, I didn't see much impact from Tyrant Matthew. Now he did show the nose for the ball that he has uh, by recovering that fumble. Marcus May made a huge play poking that ball out. I thought May played well. And he got beat deep, which is one of my concerns. That's going to happen in this league, but got beat deep, if you remember, and got a huge pass interference call against him that set up a touchdown. Uh, that's some of the stuff they've got to get ironed out on the back end. <clears throat> that's something that I think Marcus Williams was really good at. And I'm not sure that that's an area that the Saints have upgraded in. I, I just think that was a Marcus Williams. That was his ultimate strength, was playing center field. Marcus Mays kind of played down. Uh, neither he or Tyrant Matthew at this stage of their careers is, uh, you know, much of a center fielder. They're more kind of versatile players. I tell you, the guy to watch, the guy I'm writing about this weekend is Justin Evans. He ended up being the replacement for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Played in the nickel slot, and I thought played very well. Now, this is a guy, Ricky, that hasn't played in four years, was out of football for two years. The Saints go get him off the kind of the scrap heap. And he ends up starting for him and playing very well. He was a former second-round pick of the Bucks, So he's playing against his former team uh, this weekend. He's from Wigan, Mississippi. Wiggins, small town in southern Mississippi. And, uh, you know, it's a great story that he's stuck to it. He had a bunch of foot surgeries and ankle surgeries. Looked like he might not get back into the league. And he came back, and the Saints made a shrewd pickup and added to their secondary. And he played so well in camp, that's one of the reasons why they felt they could trade Gardner-Johnson. Yeah, you saw his number a bunch, man. I mean, Evans seems to be near the ball most of the time. We missed a Debo, but what was your what was your your thought about where we were on that? Well, Bradley Roby, I mean, they went after him a couple of times, and you know, I thought he played fine. I didn't think you know the cornerback play. 
I thought Lattimore's bonehead play at the end of the game was, was you know, unacceptable, and I'm sure he heard about it this week. But they're going to get tested more this week than they did by Atlanta. The, the Atlanta receiving cores, that's not their strength. Their best receiver is Kyle Pitts, the tight end, who the Saints did a good job on. But this week, you know, you've got – now Chris Godwin is hurt. He got hurt again last week. I don't think he's going to play. They obviously have no Rob Gronkowski, but they still got Mike Evans. They brought in Russell Gage, who was he was also on the injury report this week. And Julio Jones looked like he, you know, drank from the fountain of youth. Played great against the Cowboys. He's also a factor for them. Man, I, I watched uh, the better part of that uh, Cowboys game yesterday, and they played really well. I don't know. If, I don't know if, if it, it was also Dallas not playing very well. I mean, Dallas just seemed to be a struggling team long before the injury occurred. Um, you know, they, they, that team can't seem to get on, on the right track. Can they? Well, I feel like they're just, they've had so many injuries. I mean, their their number one or number two receiver has not played all year. Michael Gallup, their left tackle, Tyron Smith, who's going to be a hall of famer. He got hurt in the preseason and is out. And then right to start that game, the left guard, Connor McGovern went down and was out for the rest of the game. I mean, so they just they lost some key guys, and then of course Dak got hurt. So I just felt like their offense was so injury riddled uh, that it was easy for Tampa to under. And you can't run the ball in Tampa. That that run defense, if there's one that's better than the Saints in the league, it's Tampa. I mean, they watch this week, Ricky. I mean, the Saints will have to have some kind of plan to. You just can't run up the middle on Tampa. They're they're so strong. They have Vita Vea, and now they brought in Akeem Hicks, a former. Saints draft pick, who's been an all-pro player in the past. I mean, he's a massive human being. Those two guys in the middle, I mean, it's the best in the league. And then you got those great linebackers behind them, Levante David uh, and Devin White from LSU. So I don't know how the Saints are going to run the ball or if they're even going to try to run it, but it's going to be really interesting to watch. So many storylines. Woo! Tampa coming to the Saints. It's gonna be. We got the A team from Fox going to be calling it. A lot of people going to be talking about it. Again, a lot of little, a lot of little sub stories going on that's going to make this game super, super interesting. We'll see you after this break. We'll, we'll talk specifically about how did the Saints beat Tampa on the other side. We'll see you after this. Live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com and the Times Picayune. He is a, a columnist, a reporter, award-winning reporter on the NFL Selection Committee. He's written several books on the New Orleans Saints. He's the man when it comes to the Saints. So, you know, look, there's a lot of storylines in this game, but but I think, the, you know, just going into it, the Saints generally have played Tampa very well. And, uh, and a lot of the players on our team know that history well, and they are the ones who have played well against Tampa, and they know they didn't play well next week. It's going to be a really dynamic game, isn't it? Yeah, the Dome, home opener at the Dome. Uh, you know, they only played one preseason game there, and I think there was only about 30,000 fans there. So, 
You know, I was talking to Saints players this week, especially guys that haven't played for the Saints before, about what the experience is going to be like for them because they really haven't seen the Dome and it's full glory like it's going to be on Sunday. Uh, and look, if you have a quarterback that you'd want to go into that kind of environment, you'd want Tom Brady. You know, he's seen it all. He's played in the Dome a bunch of times. They're going to have silent counts. I mean, he's a guy that gets the ball out quick. He knows where he's going with the ball before he even gets to the line of scrimmage. So that's the one thing I would say. It's not going to really, I don't think, have a huge factor with him. Now, some of these young offensive linemen that are playing for Tampa, I think that's where it can be exploited, especially that extra little split second that the defensive line gets the advantage against them is makes all the difference. It can really help your pass rush. I know that uh, I was reading some comments from Seattle players about their game Monday night against Russell Wilson in Denver, and that place is, is about as loud or maybe louder than the Superdome. And they said that made the difference for them because the crowd was so into the game. And that could be a factor, I think, for the for the line matchup in this game more so than Brady. And look, and this is the other thing, Ricky. I mean, this could be Tom Brady's last game ever in the Superdome. I'm probably going to write my column Sunday on Tom Brady because uh, this is maybe the greatest, arguably the greatest player in NFL history. It could be playing his final game in the Superdome. By all likelihood, it will be. And this is where his legend began. If you remember back in 2001, it's where he won his first Super Bowl with the New England Patriots as a second-year quarterback. Uh, so a lot of history in this building for Tom Brady. He talked about on his podcast, incidentally, the other day that he woke up on Monday morning and he had bruises on his arm and a scratch. And it, and it, and it hit him that... He had been hit. <laughs> he had been hit in that game the day before. And as a 45-year-old, you know, playing with guys 20 years you know, younger than you, some cases maybe even more so, more, more years younger than you, 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 uh, you it, really, it really starts to register how close, you know, a catastrophic uh, hit could be from, you know, in any, at any given play. And I'm sure he's thinking about that, but so far you don't, you don't sense that he's scared in any way, do you? No, I mean, he's, he was, he threw the ball very well against the Cowboys the other night. I mean, I think the thing is what, what Drew told me, what Bobby Amers told me is it's not the ability to throw the ball anymore. It's not the ability to, to make the plays when you're healthy. It's your body doesn't recover. Uh, just father time catches up to you. And so Bob, Bobby used to tell me that, you know, normally by, by Wednesday of game week, he was ready to go again, ready to practice full time. He said later in his career, it took him all the way to Friday to be ready to play again. And then he said it started getting to the point where he wasn't really quite ready on game day because your body just doesn't heal as fast as it, as it ages. I think that's probably what Tom Brady's talking about. Yeah. Ooh, so, so, so interesting. So, um, as you as you think about some of the sub stories, I, I guess one as we talked about Evans coming back in and playing. Of course, you've got Jameis playing against his former team. What's some of the other possibilities here that we should be looking at? Well, look, I, I think it's going to be difficult for either offense. I think to move the ball. I, I think this game more than any, maybe we're going to see early on in the season is going to come down to who avoids the mistakes, and I, I think it's going to be critical for Jameis Winston to not get, uh, you know, over-aggressive, don't throw the ball into coverage, because I don't think it's going to be easy to move the ball against these two defenses. They're two of the best in the league. They're very physical. And the Saints, obviously, are going to struggle to run the ball against them. And then that puts a lot of pressure on their passing game. 
And then on the other side of the ball, I don't know how uh, Tampa Bay is going to be able to consistently move the ball with their banged-up offensive line against the Saints' front seven. So I think it's going to come down to who – if, if the scoring is low, it won't surprise me at all. I think this game could be in the low 20s, even the teens, except if the offenses make mistakes, if the defenses turn the ball over, get short fields, then I think this thing could, could be a high-scoring game because of that, but not because teams are going to go 70, 80 yards driving the ball against these defenses. You know, I noticed, I noticed in this game this past weekend, and we talked a little bit about it, but this whole notion of you know being able to knock the ball out, you know, just tackle the ball and get the ball out, and we that's always been something they've worked on. There's always been something they tried to do, but the Saints, you know, this is early in the game, of course, but they seem to be better at it. I mean, they seem to really they want to make turnovers happen, and maybe that's maybe that's going to be one of their signatures for this year. Well, they got two great ball hawks, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. I mean, Tyron Matthew is one of the greatest to ever do it. So I think it's definitely going to be something they are better at. That was not a great strength of Marcus Williams. We talked about his range. He was not necessarily a guy that was going to strip the ball or make a big play in that regard. So that, that should be an area that improved at. Well, look, buddy, thank you for taking the time to spend with us. I know the people of Coastal Mississippi really appreciate you coming on each week. And I would really encourage people to go to the NOLA.com site and sign up for the Saints newsletter so you can get access to to, uh, to my friend Jeff Duncan and his incredible team. They, they covered the Saints like nobody else. Have a great game, my friend. Thanks, Ricky. Look, your listeners out there, but come into the game, get there early. A lot of construction at the Dome. Might want to have a plan when you get there. Yeah, that is a really good piece of advice for sure. Okay, have a great uh, weekend, and we'll see you on Monday. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.